You find 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're about to wrap 1 Thessalonians up and we'll turn the page next week and we'll just keep going in 2 Thessalonians. But right at the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, a rather short passage tonight that we're looking at. I'm going to talk to you on the subject matter, Holy, Holy. Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Holy, H-O-L-Y, Holy, Holy. Paul says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Uh, Folks, this is one of those great benedictions in the scripture. You know what a benediction is. A closing prayer, closing uh, blessing pronounced on the people of God. There's some great benedictions uh, in the New Testament. I think of Hebrews 13. The writer of Hebrews says, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. One of the favorites in the New Testament would be Jude. Uh, Jude 24-25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So a benediction is its, it's final words. Usually it's a prayer. You know, when we think of final words, we think of Jesus in John 13 through 16 in the upper room with his disciples uh, before his uh, Passion Week begins. Uh, last words like that it, it's, it's like they're kicked up a notch right very important things that are discussed that's like a benediction in this benediction Paul is sort of wrapping up some of the themes that he's already covered uh, in this letter uh, some of you perhaps thinking of last words to people you probably experienced that with a loved one dying. Oftentimes as a pastor, I've been in that situation, last words uh, to somebody. Uh, special significance, and again, that's what we see here. Uh, what we see in this benediction is that God wants to do a very special work both now and in the future in the lives of his children. And what do we call this whole process? When God wants to do a special work in the lives of his children, both now and in the future, to conform us to the image of his son. What's the theological word we use for that? Sanctification. Sanctification. Exactly. Uh, Let's refer to this under point number one as a prayer for sanctification. A prayer for sanctification. What's Paul say here? May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you 
through and through. The Greek word is hagios. Uh, hagios refers to holiness, to being separate. It is a word that points out that something is special. It's not ordinary. It's not mundane. And folks, that's how we are. Positionally, at conversion, we were made saints. Now, oftentimes, we don't act very saintly, do we? You know, Paul even referred to the Corinthians as saints. And have you read the letter to the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, especially 1st Corinthians? Boy, they were anything but saintly. But yet, Paul calls them saints. Positionally, at conversion, we have been made saints. And so what's the challenge? The challenge is to become practically what we already are positionally. We've been sanctified or set apart at conversion, so now we are to be sanctified in daily practice. We are set apart, so we are to live as those who have been set apart. We're not ordinary anymore. The world hasn't changed. We're the ones who have changed. The world is still a dark place. In Ephesians 4, Paul said, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. The world is still a very dark place. It's not changed. But you've been changed if you're in Christ. And probably for some of you, after you got saved, you didn't look at anything the same anymore. You didn't look at a sunset the same anymore. You didn't look at the stars on a dark night the same anymore. You didn't look at the ocean the same. Everything took on a of majesty about it, the glory of God's creation. Uh, again, it's not that the world changed, you've been changed. Uh, and this is what God has destined us for on this earth. And he's left us here for a purpose. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you're, you're to be the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp. <clears throat> nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God's left us here for a purpose. You know, sometimes a believer doesn't really want to let others see a difference in them. But that's what's supposed to happen, a difference. 
We're not to blend in. God didn't save you and me just so we would blend in with the world. Every day, God wants us to live sanctified lives because in salvation, He sanctified us. Positionally, He sanctified us. He set us apart. And so we are to live sanctified. We're to live sanctified because we've been sanctified. This is not double talk. Again, what the Bible is saying, we are to live out and practice what God has already made us uh, positionally at conversion. And you know, sometimes this is, this is a weakness in testimonial services. Because what do you often hear in testimonial services? Something God did a long time ago when God saved the person. And they'll concentrate on that. And sometimes what is it that you want to hear? Now, you're glad to hear that. Don't get me wrong. You're thankful to hear that. But what is it that we also need to hear in a testimonial service? What's he doing today? What's he doing today in your life? What difference is he making in your life today? Are you being sanctified? At salvation, we're set apart. We're set apart to begin a wonderful journey with God. A lost man can't go on that journey. You know, you need a key for a journey. You need a key for your car, right? Well, you need a key for the spiritual journey. Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the key to starting the spiritual journey. You know this. And once saved, you're in the place that God desires to continue to do something special in you. And again, how contrary this is to oftentimes the way we think. Sometimes people get saved and they think that's the destination. That's the end of the journey. I'm saved now. That's just the beginning of the journey. That's just the beginning, folks. You just come up to the starting blocks when you got saved. Now, what is it God wants to do in your life and through your life? You know, sanctification was everywhere in the Old Testament. God set things apart for His use. What were some of the things God set apart for His use? The priest and the garments they were to wear, right? the tabernacle, and then the temple, even the utensils that were a part of the tabernacle, and then, and then the temple. Everything was sanctified. Right? And then once they got all of that in place, and it was sanctified, what happened? The Shekinah glory of God moved in. Right? So, Everything in the Old Testament pertaining to their, their worship, everything there in the tabernacle and then later the temple, was sanctified. Even down to the clothes they wore. Well, in the New Covenant, who's the temple? We are, exactly. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are to be set, up, set aside and set apart. We are to be sanctified. And when we are, we're usable to God. 
You know, so oftentimes God won't use a dirty vessel. We need to be clean and set apart and sanctified. And, and, and this means that if you're a believer and you don't sense the glory of God at work in your life, then maybe that's an invitation to do some self-examination. Maybe your life is dirty. You're not being sanctified. Well, secondly, I want us to see the extent of sanctification. He says here, through and through, may, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. What's he talking about here? The complete person. The whole man. The whole woman. That through and through, that you would be complete, that you would be mature. And notice the words that he uses here. Spirit, soul, and body. Now, folks, what I don't want you to conclude by this is that we are to compartmentalize ourselves. The Greeks, the Greek philosophers would do this. They would compartmentalize human life to the point of saying, you can be spiritual in your spiritual life, and at the same time you're being spiritual in your spiritual life, you can do anything you want to with your flesh. You can even be immoral in your flesh. That's great philosophy. Uh, that they got from Plato. Compartmentalizing human life. And, and that's not biblical. And so when Paul says here, spirit, soul, and body, he's not meaning it in that Greek sense. But what he simply means is that in our human existence, we have a body and a soul or spirit. In other words, what he's emphasizing here is we're not just material. We're not just fleshly. Remember, God breathed into Adam a living soul. He became a living soul. And God breathing into Adam and doing this in Adam set him apart from the animal kingdom. So I think the way we need to look at this is, is that in our human existence, we're one, we're a unit, but this unit has two components, body and soul. Some say three, body, soul, and spirit. Trichotomy. Uh, dichotomy. Dichotomy is that soul and spirit, it's, it's believed that those two terms are used interchangeably in the Bible. The trichotomist makes a distinction between soul and spirit. I think the evidence is in the camp of the dichotomist that soul and spirit are used interchangeably. But again, evangelicals believe one or the two. Most are dichotomists. There are some who are trichotomists. But again, the, the position dichotomist or trichotomist position is saying what? We're more than just flesh. There's a spiritual nature that we have, we have a soul, a, a pneuma, a spirit, a pesuke, a, a, a soul, pneuma, spirit. Uh, this is the part of us that is dead in sin and then quickened at conversion. This is also having to do with our personality, our feelings, our emotions. 
And, you know, some people don't allow God to really transform them there the way God would want to. They're, they're negative. They're impatient. They're overly opinionated. And they say, that's just me. Well, that's the problem. Self. It's you that God wants to change. And then soma, body. This is our flesh. The flesh is subject to all kinds of the lust of the world. Paul's written to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4 that in their flesh they are to flee immorality, the immorality of the flesh. They're to be sanctified pertaining to their sexual purity because it's in the flesh that those temptations exist. And so what's Paul saying here in verse 23? He's essentially just saying God wants all of you. God wants all of you. Body, soul, and spirit. He wants all of you to, to be set apart for Him. You're not to compartmentalize your life and say, well, I'll, I'll give God my intellect, but not my body. Or I'll give God my time, but not my talents. No, you're to give Him everything. The whole of yourself. He wants your thought life. He wants your speech. He wants your motives as well as your actions. Our thought life, our speech, our bodily habits are all supposed to reflect that we're a new creation in Christ. We're to be the same person at work on Monday morning that we were in Sunday school on Sunday morning. Now, folks, what we have to understand is that this is a never-ending process, this side of the grave. Salvation as a whole is a process. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, regeneration, when we think of salvation, what do we think of? Regeneration, sanctification, and glorification. Regeneration is a one-time event. That's a past event. If you're a Christian, regeneration is a past event. Which we call justification. Which we, yes. it's also justification. Yes. When you were saved, when you were born again, when you were regenerated. Okay? That is a one and done. Okay? That is a, that's not a process, that's a one and done. But at that moment, regeneration then gives way to or flows into sanctification. I'm to be daily growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And then this one day will give way into glorification when I'm with Jesus. And so in salvation, there's regeneration, sanctification, glorification. And the whole process of your salvation, those three aspects, are not complete until glorification. You're fully saved when you were regenerated, but the whole process isn't complete until you're with Jesus one day. And until then, God is at work in you to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. What Paul said in Philippians 1.6, what was he confident of? That he began a good work in evil. 
that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. What was Paul speaking of there? Sanctification. <clears throat> now, let's think of the, thirdly the work of sanctification. It is of God. Notice what he says here. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And so sanctification, just like regeneration, is of God. It's God who does this in us. You see, the Christian life isn't the call just to grin and bear it and do the best you can. It's not as though you've got to enter into the nitty-gritty of the battle and do it all yourself. The beauty of the Christian life is it's God at work in us. Now, furthermore, by calling God the God of peace in this context, it's as if Paul is saying, you're really going to experience the peace of the Lord when you yield to this process. The God of peace will sanctify you in body, soul, and spirit. As long as you've got one foot in the world and one foot in your faith, you're not going to have the kind of peace he's talking about here. You know, people want to kind of hold back on God all the time, don't they? They think God's going to lead them into some kind of miserable existence. Folks, that doesn't even make sense. The God who made us as unique as we are is the very same God who can lead you into the most fulfilling life ever. He's fully capable of giving you that kind of life. And, and in verse 24, he says the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God is faithful. He was faithful in creating you. He was faithful in saving you. He will be faithful in bringing everything to pass in your life that he, that he desires to. Sanctification is God's work. It is of God. And then also we could say about it that it's not to be feared. God wants to work in you and me so that at the end of life we'll be complete and without blame. You know, there are going to be a lot of Christians who will stand before God with regret. Uh, you won't lose your salvation, but there'll be some who stand there in that day, I think, and, and there'll be some regrets. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he is built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. But my point is, when we cooperate with God in sanctification, that won't be the case. There won't be regrets. You know, we can be like Jesus. Jesus got to the end of his life, earthly life, in John 17. He said, Father, the things you've given me to do, I've done. Paul got to the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, and said, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished my course. In the future there is for me the crown of life, and not only for me alone, but for all who have loved his appearing. Folks, that's how God wants you and me to finish. He wants us to finish well. He wants to preserve us and keep us without blame. And that's what Paul says here. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And so, 
The work of sanctification is of God. It's not to be feared. And then thoroughly about it, I think we could say, it's to be yielded to. It's to be yielded to. In verse 19 of this same chapter, we, we read how we can quench the Spirit. Ephesians says, the book of Ephesians says, we can grieve the Spirit. Or we can be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's a person. And he can be grieved or quenched. I think of Samson in the Old Testament. Samson had the Spirit. There's no doubt in my mind that Samson was a saved man. And God equipped him in so many ways. And yet Samson blew it. Samson's story is one of the great tragedies, I think, of the Old Testament. We must not quench the Spirit in sanctification. We must pray and read God's Word, attend church, confess our sin, yield to God's desires and will, and obey Him. If we don't do that, sanctification is going to be limited in our lives. So when it comes to sanctification to some degree, God allows you and me to determine how close we're going to be to Him. God, when He regenerates us, He sets us apart and sanctifies us, again, positionally, practically, we're to be sanctified, the process part of it. And that happens as we draw near to Him. It's like Paul said to the Philippians, where Paul said in chapter 2, he said, work out your own salvation, for it is God who is at work in you. It's God's work that He's doing in you, but what's Paul saying? You're to cooperate with his design and his will for you. And that's why elsewhere, Paul emphasizes that we've been raised up with Christ to walk in newness of life. We've been raised up with Christ pointing out that it's God's work. But then Paul goes on to say, we're to walk uprightly. We're to put to death the deeds of the flesh, as he says to the Colossians, for instance, and then we're to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, as he said in Romans 12. So this process of salvation is all of God. It's God's work in us. But when it comes to our sanctification, there's that aspect where we're to cooperate with God. We're to yield to what He's wanting to do in and through us. We have a part in our own Christian growth, is what I'm saying. When it comes to regeneration, one person who's saved is just as regenerated as another believer. There's no degree. I, I can't say Kathy is more regenerated than Bill. Right? If they're both regenerated. Equally. But when it comes to sanctification, you can see a difference in people's lives, their Christian maturity and growth. Some are further along in that journey than others. Again, that's an area where we 
do have a part to play. What's some lessons in this? Number one, regeneration is a completed action. As I just said, two separate Christians are just as saved as the other one. There's no degree here. You're either saved or not saved. On the other hand, sanctification has a completed action and an ongoing action to it. God sanctified you. He set you apart when He saved you. And, and so in that one sense, sanctification is done or completed just as regeneration was completed when it happened. But sanctification has a continuing element to it as well. You are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And that's why we can think of ourselves as being more sanctified at one point in our life than at another point. Because this is in reference to that aspect of sanctification that is ongoing. Hopefully you would be able to say, I am more sanctified at this period in my life than I was a decade ago. Thirdly, every believer has the obligation before God to make a wholehearted type of presentation of themselves to God. Let's read the benediction again. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Any questions or comments? Sanctification can go forward and it can go back based upon our level of commitment to growth or not growth. I think that'd be fair to say. Yeah. And in sanctification, God uses circumstances in your life. He uses trials. He uses His His, his Spirit. He uses His Word to mold you and make you more into the image of Christ. He uses all of that in your life. Circumstances, trials, other people, His Word. The Holy Spirit uses all of that. And yet, there's times in life, unfortunately, for believers that they probably put it in reverse, so to speak. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. Still moving forward. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're either a thermostat or a thermometer. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Because a thermometer changes with the world and culture around it. 
Yep. But a thermostat that changes the world. Yep. Ribby thermostat. So we're to be different. Yep. We're to make a difference in the world. Yep.